Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Boards are not like other work settings and they take a special skill set to work on them. If you've ever wondered what makes a successful board career, you are in the right podcast. Julie Gala McClellan built a board career from one not-for-profit role to now a portfolio including chairing an AXS-listed company. She's a frequent conference speaker and is featured in a number of media outlets such as the Financial Times, the AFR, Company Director and ABC's Nightly Business Report. She has 23 years of experience delivering education for the AICD, National Association of Corporate Directors, Governance Institute of Australia, College of Law, and a whole bunch of other entities across the planet. Julie continues to research and study and recently completed a course at the Wharton Business School. And she's also the author of six books. So she's the perfect person to be discussing the politics of boards. Welcome to the program, Julie. It's a pleasure to be here, Amber. I love board careers and I, I've sort of dabbled in boards in, in my um, past sort of five to six years or so. I think you get to a stage where, you know, you're ready to, to do that. But I guess going back into your early career, did you have something that you wanted to be when you grew up or an early professional career, which is quite different to where you are now? And what did that teach you? Well, from very early stages, when I was a small child, I wanted to be a builder or a bricklayer. By the time I was in high school, that had become a civil engineer. And so I actually studied civil engineering and spent the first 10 years of my life building projects on building sites and absolutely loved it. But I think the interesting thing is with company directors, you need a diverse board. So you want people with a range of different backgrounds, but you also want people who are successful and good at something. So whatever it is you do, if you're good at it, you'll wind up being a manager of it. And if you are good at managing it rather than doing it, then you are likely to be invited onto boards so that people can see whether you're any good at governing it. Absolutely. So I guess um, perfection is a funny word, I know, but do you have a sense in all your experience, what makes the ideal or perfect board? I mean, there's a lot of talk about diversity, you know, increasing either, you know, numbers of women or people from different backgrounds, different ages and stages of life. Is there kind of a mix that works? And I guess the numbers are also important, having the right amount of people, but not too many people. Yep. Having enough people that you've got enough diversity, but not so many that it's too cumbersome and too difficult and you can't build consensus is really important. And of course, the larger the board, the more skilled you need your chair to be. Um, In terms of the other diversity, I like to see boards with a diversity of tenure. So I like to see boards where The board is constantly refreshing a director or two, but also you have one or two directors who've got a long corporate history and 
therefore know what the background of the organization is. I like to see a board that has maybe somebody who's a shareholder or somebody who's a customer or a beneficiary, um, because I find that adds a perspective. Um, what I do not like to see are boards where everybody has a very similar background or boards full of yes people. That's interesting. So I guess consensus is part of a board, but it sounds like that's not everything that makes it work. And I suppose through your experiences, you know, board skills are something that you can go and do, you know, a course and I've done the AOCD course and there are others that are out there that are phenomenal to give you that groundwork and understanding governance and all the pieces that go into making a board work and your role, of course, and responsibilities and the legalities of being a director as well, even if you are on a not-for-profit board, that's kind of something which some people find quite overwhelming when they realise, oh, I'm actually liable for this. I can't just, you know, float in and float out. But I, I suppose board skills are learnt through experiences and, and governance practices that you get on the job, if you like. So if you're early in your board career, how would you suggest people approach boards or think about boards? Does it have to be a not-for-profit start or can you go into a corporate board even if you've only just newly started that board process? Some people go into a corporate board and then pick up a not-for-profit later as part of their giving back. And some people go into a not-for-profit board and then look to make the leap into the commercial. There, there is no one, one set career progression path for company directors. The important thing is that you've achieved something significant now, whether that is significant in a social setting or significant in an education setting or a corporate setting or even a sporting setting, successful sports people do remarkably well on boards, particularly if they've come out of team sports. So it really is that question of follow your passions first and then signal that you are interested in boards and if that doesn't work, ask people for help because you should be getting invitations if you've been doing everything right. Absolutely. I suppose with um, the current pandemic, networking is a bit harder, but I suppose for me personally, that's how I got my board approaches. People, I was invited because I put it out there that I was interested in particular fields. For me, it was education and women in leadership and politics. And so that's sort of how that happened for people that maybe don't know how to sort of approach people, is there is there a good way? Is it just about sort of, you know, writing off through LinkedIn or contacting people or picking up the phone? I mean, I do know they advertise board roles, but I think sometimes people assume they're for already established directors and, and chairs who know what they're doing. If you're new, is it sort of how did you get your start, for example? I mean, I'd be curious to know that. Um, well, my very first board role was as managing director of a subsidiary, an international subsidiary of the multinational company that I worked for. So that was just, I was promoted and the board seat came along with it. I was very fortunate because I had an accountant who alerted me to the fact that this wasn't just sign a few papers every now and then and we'll make it all look all right. It was a serious personal legal liability and my best defense to that liability was to actually do the job properly. Um, but Adam J. Epstein, um, who is the author of a book called The Perfect Corporate Board, 
which is an American book about boards, once said, telling it, asking everybody you know if they can help you get a board seat won't help you get a board seat. It'll just make sure that you no longer know so many people. <laughs> That's interesting. Yes. That's an interesting philosophy. Is true. So when you're networking, it's really important to think what boards need the skills that I've got and how do I offer to help rather than asking for board seats. And so it's it's an interesting dance, if you like, between two parties because at any time either party can say, no, this isn't going to work. So you're interviewing them and they're interviewing you. And it's that question of building that shared commitment until suddenly you both go, oh, yeah, this is right for our board. This is perfect. That's interesting. I guess that changes at any point in time, like you mentioned, having that renewal in the board is also very important. Mm, it is important. And, and it also means that all of the big professional company directors, I mean, I was on the council at AICD, I, I saw at close quarters how those guys that we look up to and we go, oh, wow, that's amazing. He was on this big board and then he was on that big board and then he chaired this other big board. Wow. But when you know them and you see them, they are constantly working that I've now got these skills and networks and attributes, which I think will be interesting in these places. They're in constant job search all the time because opportunities come and go all the time. Don't get discouraged if it doesn't happen straight away and just keep thinking, who needs what I can give rather than where would I like to be around the table? That's great. That's a great advice. And I suppose obviously we've touched on the board chair being very important. And when I've seen an amazing chair bringing particularly disparate views and people together and having people sort of not necessarily singing from the same songbook, but certainly coming to some sort of consensus. So there's progression and movement and all the things that you want from a great board. You don't want it to be too paralyzed by over-analysis or too much navel-gazing or discussion sometimes, which can happen early on in boards that I've been involved with anyway, who, you know, everyone's trying to get their voice heard. How does a good chair really operate but still remain in some ways, part of the team and not seen as sort of, you know, slave-master relationship? It's an interesting one because the board chair is usually leading because the other board members have chosen them as the leader. If you're on a government sector board, yes, it's more likely that the chair will have been directly appointed into the position and the minister or even cabinet will have signed off. But for most companies, you get elected to the board and then you look around the boardroom and you go, okay, well, there's seven or nine of us here. Out of us nine, who's the best possible leader and who's the best possible deputy? And are they willing to take on those roles? And at any time, they can take those roles back again and say, we've changed our mind. So... It, it is an interesting ebb and flow of you're the leader and we've made you the leader, but the respect has to be flowing in both directions. I always find the best board chairs are the ones that have that little twinkle of humour in their eye as they call you to order or do things. For example, at my board meeting yesterday, our chair, who is a very good chair, 
we were running about 10 minutes behind schedule, which we often do. Um, and he said, can I suggest that we all take 20 minutes for lunch rather than the usual 30? And quick as a flash, somebody said, you can suggest that. <laughs> and we all laughed, but we all scoffed our lunch as fast as we could and were back within 20 minutes. So the result was there, that the end game was in mind, and that's what I guess the chair can often rally people to do, to keep their eye on the prize. But like you say, have a bit of humour and self-deprecation in that. Yep. And again, it's that whole question of respect. If you are all operating under that umbrella of respect and rather than everybody trying to get their voices heard, everybody trying to get the best outcome, it really helps. That's interesting. Of course, having a good agenda helps as well. Oh, yeah, of course. Yes, exactly. Not trying to put too many things on the agenda if there's a heated issue that's going to take more time mm. than you expect as well yep. as what I found. Sometimes it's too much and then it keeps getting tabled for the next meeting, which can be challenging too. It can because you need to make decisions. You need to move on and you need to do it knowing that from time to time you're going to make mistakes because we're human and we do. Absolutely. So explain in your view how best to kind of manage those very priorities. Everyone, particularly in a very diverse board, might have slightly different agendas, have things that they want to prioritise. For example, if, if you're from a background like mine, you might think marketing and PR is the most important thing. People from the finance space might feel differently. How do you make sure that that sort of gets equal attention, that you're not sort of just paying attention to, say, what I call the fun stuff and ignoring some of the harder stuff or vice versa, mm. only doing the, the dry stuff, the what you have to do, and then ignoring those bigger projects which really will drive a business or a brand or whatever it might be forward? Yeah, my um, preference is very much to work from the strategy so either from the purpose of the organization or from the vision or the core mission and always refer back to that as if this is what we're going to achieve, we really need to have marketing that gives us the brand and the position to achieve it. Or if that's what we're trying to achieve, We've just got to hit our financial targets because otherwise we won't be able to invest in the assets we need to achieve it. So really, I find that strategy helps because very often, yes, there are different priorities and different interests around the table, but everybody should be totally committed to the overall outcome. Yeah, that's great advice. So what would be your best advice or perhaps some good advice, if best is, is too definitive, on how to get heard, particularly if you are that dissenting voice in a board discussion or you're not necessarily, you're a bit of an outlier if, if you like. You're saying, like you mentioned before, not having a bunch of yes people, which I agree, but it can be hard to be the other person as well. How's the best way to do that without being too combative and actually putting people offside and perhaps shutting down conversations because... It's uncomfortable. <laughs> yes, it, it is. Uh, I was laughing yesterday with the same directors. We were talking about somebody, a, a very far right-wing political commentator who made some very unacceptable comments about transgender people. And the transgender person next to him said, do you want to go home in an ambulance? And he said, ambulances don't take people home. They take them to hospital. 
hospital and carried on, which... We totally missed the moment. Just completely. And it's so easy to do that in the heat of a board discussion when you're passionate and you truly believe. But we can all be just as dumb as that particular very clever commentator was in seeing things only from our perspective. So my advice when you really want to be heard is, first of all, look at the strategy, look at the purpose, look at the vision and the mission and say, is this really useful or is this just me wanting a a platform? And if you're convinced it's really useful, then the next thing is, what is the best way with the other people around the room for me to get this onto the table and discussed? Do I mention, I really endorse this strategy, I think it's great, I wonder if we could perhaps talk about this because I think it might be a risk and focus people's attention that way. Um, One of my favourite board colleagues often prefaces his most penetrating questions with, would you allow a country boy to ask a dumb question? And of course, everybody says yes, and then he asks a really clever question. Um, But sometimes asking permission do you mind if I advance an alternative hypothesis? Mm, that's good. That's really smart. So it's often just the, the nuance and the language and, and, and maybe softening that kind of all guns blazing approach, which if you feel passionate about an issue or a topic, you can often just get caught up in it. We're all guilty of that, I think, at times. We are. And I always go back to St. Francis of Assisi or Stephen Covey, seek to understand, not to be understood one of the best ways to get people to ask you to voice what you want to have heard is to ask questions and to really understand their point of view and build the platform for that question to have a really firm foundation in reality. It's obviously very big listening skills that are involved in in being part of a board and I suppose it's no different to any other corporate meeting where there's, you know, big decisions being made. You've obviously been on a number of boards. Can you give us some examples of the lasting impact either yourself or some of your peers have had if you leverage your expertise through several boards? Because a lot of people, when they think about a board career, they don't think of just being on one board at a time and like yourself might be on multiple boards. Is there... Is there examples of impact that can have because you can cross-pollinate opportunities or you might be able to introduce the right people? That would be great for people to really understand what what the benefit is to really build that career out and and have that impact. Yeah, would you like a one-week podcast instead of a half hour? I know, you're going to have to choose one, (laughs) one example maybe or something that you think would resonate with people that maybe you're not as familiar with what that might look like. Every board you're on, you really want every board you're on to have you passionately interested in causing something to happen and for that to be exciting. So, for example, when I was chairing Oldfields, we were a very small company. Our finances were in such a mess that the bank had actually told them they needed to sort out the board And that was when they invited me to be the first ever independent chair on their listed company board. And the company listed in 1961. So it had done remarkably well to survive 
without an independent chair or indeed many independent directors up until then, but it, it was in such a mess that everything I looked at said, don't touch it with a barge pole. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought the people in the back, the people in the factory, the people in the warehouse, they have families, this is their jobs, their lives. So when we did actually manage to restructure and recapitalize and turn it around and it's still listed and still going, one of the things that just really excites me is the fact that all of those people still have their jobs. They, they, they're still paying their mortgages. Um, so for me, that was a, a very lasting impact. But then when I think through some of my not-for-profit roles, particularly in professional associations, the leverage through what that profession does into how society works and how people then are empowered and enabled to do things. Again, your expertise can take you into a number of different ways. My experience with the Institute of Company Directors and the Governance Institute, that empowering directors with the skills they need, and then vicariously succeeding when they succeed, that really excites me. So you can have whatever impact you want to have as long as you remember that it, it is done through the board and aligned with the company strategy. Absolutely. The word strategy keeps resonating and I think that's that's kind of sums it up really. To get a little bit more personal and to get to know you a little bit, is there a book or film that perhaps you read many years ago, watched recently, doesn't really matter, that really resonates with you and makes your heart sing a little bit? What would it be and why? Well, strangely enough, with a name like Julie Garland, I did get subjected to quite a few rescreenings of The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> not, not, not surprisingly, perhaps. I particularly loved those empowering messages of you can do what you need to do, you, you can be what you want to be. And I was very fortunate that I had, in particular, one teacher at school who did actually teach literature. And she would always, she was very religious, and she would say, Julie, God will never send you a challenge unless he sends the strength with which to meet it. That's good advice. And that always gave me a lot of confidence. So I do, do particularly like those films about people overcoming and being and achieving. And if I talk about books that have made a, a big difference, I'm a child of the 60s, so Jonathan Livingston Seagull would be up there on my list. And I particularly love the work of Jim Collins, um, who wrote a very nice short book recently called The Flywheel, which I think is something that a lot of directors could get a lot of value from reading. Excellent. Well, they're, they're great tips there. Many people have had special mentors in their life. Sometimes they're people in their inner circle. Sometimes they are people who've passed through. Do you have one or two that really stand out for you? And what have they taught you about success and life? Yeah, I would say particularly that school teacher. Um, and she really taught me about having confidence and standing up for the challenges and, you know, if you get knocked down, don't worry, you've, you've probably got the strength to pick yourself back up and get going again. Um, so I always look back to her. I'm particularly indebted to Henry Bosch, 
who uh, was one of my great leaders when I first started studying company directorship, David Crawford. I could thoroughly understand why BHP wanted to retain him on their board and why South 32 wanted to keep him within that board because he just adds so much value and looks into people in a way that that helps you to understand your strengths as he's looking into you, which I think is a a marvellous skill. Fantastic. Just to wrap up our conversation today, what would be your final takeaway tip to anyone trying to manage the politics of boards? The best tip is seek to understand, not to be understood, and then always act for a proper purpose in accordance with the purpose of the organisation. Don't ever be on a board to undermine it. So I guess that's two tips. They're good ones, though. Powerful from all your experience and all your observations. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. And if you do want to connect further with Julie, I'll have some details of her LinkedIn and her website on my show notes. You've been listening to The Politics of Everything. I'm your host, Amber Danes. And until next time, keep well. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea, you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.